The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Did you know that relaxation is all in your mind? That's right. By applying various techniques of mindfulness, you can practice relaxation anywhere and anytime, whether it's at home, work, or at play. Welcome to Come Back to Your Senses Radio with host Leah Brenda Smith. Our program is all about recovering your common sense. Now, here's health and wellness specialist Leah Brenda Smith. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Leah Brenda Smith. And thanks for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio on Voice America Variety and Project Freedom Radio Network. You can find me on the net at leahbrendasmith.com or Facebook. The page is Come Back to Your Senses Radio. And this week our show is about accessibility. And really, I want to tell you the little story of what inspired the show this week. Over the last couple of weeks, I've reconnected with a couple of organizations that I've been involved with that provide services to people with developmental and other disabilities. And in one of the scenarios, I was backstage volunteering, helping individuals from Tamir, a local organization, And uh, these are folks that have a wide range of developmental disabilities. And they were performing a a show that they put together called True Colors. And the presentation um, involved a series of songs accompanied by video footage of the participants from Tamir expressing their thoughts and their feelings about what it was like for them to grow up with a disability. It was very powerful. It was uh, it was quite moved by the whole experience. You know, they they articulated uh, heartfelt messages, and it contained really explicit encouragement, with the intent of helping other people to understand that people with disabilities are the same as everyone else. That was the underlying message. And then through their songs and the stories and the talented performers. They were urging people, don't shy away, urging them not to shy away when they meet a person with a disability or see a person with a disability. And they were really encouraging other people to be open and to realize that people with disabilities have love and friendship and loyalty and support to offer them in the same way as any other person would. Now, this experience for me, really, it was really, really very moving. And because of the content, but also because I have a personal relationship that I developed um, with these individuals during many years that I worked with them. First, uh, a lot of them I worked with in a supported independent living 
program uh, where I was uh, helping them with uh, life skills. And uh, then later, I worked with them as the Judaic program supervisor for Tamir. So in the early years, I assisted the seasoned performers to access their ability. I helped them to develop their reading skills and their writing skills and, and really to build confidence in their ability and to build confidence in their ability to follow their dreams and to achieve their goals. And I really noticed that a, a real pivotal or really uh, a very fundamental aspect of their uh, achievements really came from helping them to let go of the stigma and to let go of the ideas that somehow they were stupid or less than other people because they were born with a developmental disability. And really, it's been my privilege to be part of this experience and in many ways, the opportunity to serve the individuals at Tamir really opened me to be able to access my own abilities. So that was one of the experiences that uh, that happened in the last couple of weeks that's prompted uh, today's subject. And then the other experience was another volunteer opportunity. I went to Toronto to do sign language interpreting at a special event for Michael Baum, who is more affectionately known as Mookie. And this event was a, a joint event with Libby Zamer, the Zoomer Media Group, and the Mookie Baum Foundation. Now, Libby was the guest speaker for the evening, and she talked about finding purpose and joy in the Zoomer years. And the purpose of the event really was to raise awareness and funds for the Mookie Baum Foundation. And then at the same time, uh, you know, informing Zoomers about how to maintain a high quality of life despite the challenges of daily life due to aging. And these folks are often referred to as the sandwich generation. Actually, I am one of them. You know, Zoomers that are balancing the pressures of supporting both children and aging parents or other aging family members. And some of those family members are people with disabilities. And the Mookie Baum Foundation supports people with complex disabilities. And during the introduction, Dr. Nohama Baum, who's the founder of both the Mookie Baum Treatment Center and the Mookie Baum Foundation, she showed a little video clip that highlighted the work of the organization. And on the screen, as part of the mission statement for the Mookie Baum Foundation, were the words providing the key to access ability. So given my 30 years plus of working with people with developmental and other disabilities, I was really struck by both the simplicity and the complexity of that idea. Because there's obviously, there's, you know, I, uh, my experiences have really shown me that there is immense value in providing opportunities for people to access their ability. I became familiar with the Mookie Baum Treatment Center through attending and presenting at their international sensory conferences. And these are held every other year in Toronto. Now, Mookie, the uh, gentleman that I went to interpret for, is the son of Nohama and Moshe Baum. 
and he was born in Israel with cerebral palsy and a hearing impairment. Then after a time, the family relocated to Toronto in order to access better services for Mookie. And it was later then that Nahama started the Mookie Bomb Treatment Centers, and through her dedicated work and staff, has provided many years of service to people with a real wide range of complex disabilities. And I've had the opportunity to volunteer my interpreting skills and share several special events with Mookie and the, and the Mookie Bomb family. So the, the full mission statement of the foundation is to provide the key to access ability by enabling all citizens with complex disabilities to grow and succeed through innovative, creative, and sustainable programming. And I've had the privilege, actually, to work with or be involved with both Jameer and Mookie Bomb and other organizations like the Bet Aziz Shapiro Organization in Israel, Rita Foundation in Toronto, Wise Al McClure in Ottawa, and some other organizations in Vancouver that are innovative and really always on, on the leading edge trying to provide quality of life for people with disabilities. So the idea really for today's show is understanding that access ability is really broad. It's a broad subject and it's a diverse subject. And for the most part, the idea has been linked to things like uh, wheelchair ramps and modified bathroom stalls and other issues that are related to people with disabilities. We've kind of been trained to link accessibility to environmental issues. But if we look at really the definition of ability, it's defined as possessing the qualities required to do something. Having the necessary skill, competence, or power, such as the ability to cope with a problem. And then I think it's good to clarify, too, some of the synonyms that go with ability, such as capability, capacity, faculty, talent, skill, competency, and aptitude. All of these nouns denote qualities that really enable a person to achieve or to accomplish things. And ability is the mental or physical power to do something. Capacity refers to the potential for acquiring that power. Faculty denotes an inherent ability. Talent emphasizes inborn ability. Skill stresses ability acquired or developed through experience. And competency suggests the ability to do something in a satisfactory way, but not necessarily in an outstanding way. And then aptitude implies an inherent capacity for learning, understanding, or performing. So really, we can see that ability is something that all human beings are born with. 
And like most things in life, ability exists on a continuum. And individuals don't necessarily have the same level of ability in all areas of life. And no one excels in all areas all of the time. You know, you could be a highly creative person and excel in the arts, yet be totally uncoordinated when it comes to sports. And then there's people that are referred to as the jack-of-all-trades, yet the master of none. These individuals, they seem to be able to do most things reasonably well, yet not really excel at any one thing. And sometimes you find people that excel at one thing would rather uh, have uh, the approach of the jack-of-all-trades, and people that are kind of can do most things well um, often are looking for that one thing that they can excel at. Interesting, our perspective on things. I guess that's that show, that old saying about grass being greener depending on where it grows. But clearly we all have ability and clearly we all have the ability to develop our skills and that it's really a right for all of us to have access to the opportunity to make the choices to develop whatever it is that we're wanting to develop. You know, some people are great academics, but their social skills may be underdeveloped. And sometimes a person may appear to have a lack of ability in an area, yet really what might really be going on or what may be more accurate is that their ability has been underutilized. And because of that, they've not been given the opportunity to grow or develop in a certain area or in areas maybe that interested them. But I have no doubt that most folks could identify at least one area of their life where they feel that they have an aptitude or an innate interest in something. Yet they haven't had or they haven't had the time or they haven't taken the time. They haven't accessed, had access to pursue or develop that ability. You could just say that they haven't yet accessed that ability. So as an example... I'll use myself as an example. After painting for the past 10 years, I took painting up 10 years ago, I recently opened up to begin developing in the area of being a pencil artist, you know, which is something that I've always felt that I wanted to try. So I'm just beginning now to do that. And finding that I do have a natural ability there, but it's not something that I've ever developed or accessed before. So really, the question here really is often one of access, not actually of ability, but access to ability. Like a child that grows up with music and musical instruments in the home environment, they're going to have an easier time to access, an easier time to access music and access musical instruments than the child who grows up in an environment where Individuals do not have an appreciation for music, and there are no musical instruments in the home. And really, regardless of a person's aptitude or talent in any area, 
if an individual has a genuine interest in learning and developing a new skill, then it's ideal when the individual has the ability to access and pursue the opportunity. And it's not really relevant if, in the long run, it turns out that the individual only has an average skill or average ability in the area. It's about accessing your ability. And true accessibility is not limited. It's inclusive of the freedom for all individuals to choose from the spectrum of life experience, which is not dependent upon a personal innate talent or ability to develop their skill, but the freedom to choose. And then the access. So, you know, clearly there are many people that live with a disability that's physical, developmental, mental, emotional, or even a combination of several of these factors. And they often need more direct assistance from others in order to have access to their abilities. And the, the disability rights movement that began in the early 1970s helped to secure equal opportunities and equal rights for people with disabilities. And the specific goals and demands of that movement really are accessibility and safety in transportation, architecture, physical environment, equal opportunities in independent living, employment, education, and housing, freedom from abuse and neglect, and patients' rights. And then when it's warranted, when people are violated, then they have the right to have access to effective civil rights legislation. Now, people with physical disabilities, for them, accessibility and safety are obviously primary issues. And the disability rights movement really works to to reform that, to they've helped to create access to public areas such as city streets and public buildings and, yes, the restrooms. And more and more there's changes that are happening with that. Some places in the world are installing elevators where they didn't have them before and automatic doors in public places and wider doors and corridors and transit lifts wheelchair ramps and, you know, the cut-off curbs so that you can easily get up. And then the just removing unnecessary steps where ramps and elevators are not available and allowing people in wheelchairs and with other mobility impairments to use public sidewalks and public transit more easily and more safely. So there's been lots of great movement in these types of areas. And then there's the advocates for the rights of people with developmental disabilities. And they focus their efforts on gaining acceptance in the workforce and in everyday activities and events from which they would be excluded in the past. 
And unlike many of the leaders in physical disability rights communities, self-advocacy has been certainly slower to develop for people with developmental disabilities. And public awareness, really, of civil rights for this population is still, it's there, but it is more limited. And the stereotyping of people with developmental disabilities as not non-contributing citizens who are dependent on others, the stigma is still there, even though the times have changed and the people have changed, the services have changed, and even the people that are being served have changed in that so it has become so much more common for people with developmental disabilities to stand up and step up and say, hey, you know, I want an opportunity to contribute back to society in the same way that other people do. I want an opportunity to give back even to the people that have shared and supported them. So it's good to see that the face of all this is changing, even though at some levels, you know, in mainstream, at some levels, change is more, uh, happens more slowly, even though you have these small uh, croppings of change that happen that not everyone may be aware of. And then there's the advocates for the rights of people with mental illnesses that focuses mainly on self-determination and an individual's ability to live independently. You know, the right to have an independent life and use paid assistant care instead of being institutionalized, if that's what the individual wishes. And it really is a major goal of the disability rights movement and is a, a main goal of the similar independent living and self-advocacy movements, which are more strongly associated with people with intellectual disabilities and mental disorders. So these movements really have supported people with disabilities to live as more active participants in society. Living and socializing alongside all the members of society. And then access to education and employment have also been a major focus of the disability rights movement and adaptive technologies and enabling people to work jobs that they couldn't previously have done, and helping to create access to jobs and to uh, be independent in terms of their own economics. There's greater access in the classrooms to help people, and that's improved the education opportunities and access to education and independence for people with disabilities. So freedom from abuse and neglect and the violations of patients' rights are also important goals of the disability rights movement. And abuse and neglect includes inappropriate seclusion and restraint, inappropriate use of force by staff or providers, threats or harassments, or even retaliation by staff or providers. Even failure, simple thing is failure to provide adequate nutrition or clothing or medical care or mental health care. Or even the failure to provide a safe and clean living environment. 
as well as other issues which can be, you know, a serious threat to the physical and psychological well-being of a person with a disability. Other issues or violation of patients' rights include failure to obtain informed consent for treatment or when people aren't maintaining the confidentiality of treatment records and also inappropriate restrictions of the right to communicate and associate with others. So really as a result of all of the work that was done through the disability rights movement, there were significant disability rights legislation that was passed really between the 1970s and the 1990s. And in my lifetime, I've seen an enormous change in the services that people with disabilities are able to access. You know, it wasn't that long ago that people with developmental disabilities were segregated within their own family even. And, and many, them, many of them were locked away in institutions. You know, I remember my late father telling me a story about a young boy who was kept in the basement of his family home. And he was, he was literally shut away from the rest of the family because he had a developmental disability. And my father knew about this situation only because his work gave him the occasion to be a visitor in the home. And people in the community didn't know about this young boy. And this was often the case even, you know, a few decades ago. And in some more rare situations, this may still be true for some families. So although great changes have transpired, not all of the changes have become mainstream across all service sectors. And yet in every age and every industry, there's always the innovative individuals and organizations that are on the leading edge and, you know, paving the way for quality of life for the most vulnerable and people that have been the most marginalized those vulnerable citizens in, in society. You know, there was a time when custodial care was the only approach. And this type of care focused solely on the basic needs for food and shelter and clothing with minimal access to health care and minimal opportunities for recreation and socialization. And clearly this model lacked any possibility for personal autonomy. And didn't also um, give the individuals an opportunity to really participate in the um, daily life skills even of their, of their own, of their own care. Simple things. Simple things even to, to help prepare a meal or to help clean up from a meal or little things that help individuals, just uh, as is true in a family, uh, when you have young children and you do everything for them all the time and you don't give them the opportunity to participate in those natural activities of daily life, I think we misunderstand sometimes. We, we have an oversight and don't realize that these little activities of daily life are a great way for individuals to have a sense of autonomy a sense of participating, a sense of making a contribution, and also a sense of uh, their own ability to, to, to um, uh, create satisfaction and, and uh, 
learn about their own abilities by participating in things that are going on around them. So this type of custodial um, model, uh, fortunately, it was replaced. It lacked personal autonomy, and it was replaced with a more person-centered approach. And then when things become more person-centered, then there's room then to focus on individual care plans that are tailored specifically to a person's individual needs, rather than this one-size-fits-all kind of approach. So that was a great, a great change in, in how um, people access their abilities and people access services and care from the custodial model to a more person-centered approach. And certainly then the closing of institutions in favor of community living, that really helped to foster a, a new openness and a new sense of inclusion, a new way for people to access the community and access their abilities. So not only did this bring people with disabilities into the community for their housing, but it also opened the door for people with disabilities to work, live, and play alongside other members of the community. And we saw citizen advocacy groups, and they were developed to, to come, really to come to the aid of and to support people with disabilities. And I, I think that the good work of these organizations naturally led to the development of, of client rights committees, you know, which provide a forum for individuals with disabilities to have direct access and, and a means by which they could participate in their own experience of self-advocacy. And I've seen access to suitable leisure activities for people with profound disabilities and seen this achieved through the Snoozeland multisensory environments. And this innovative approach to leisure has the ability to alter the brain chemistry of the user. So it not only, well, it initially started out to be looked at as a, as a leisure activity, proved to have tremendous therapeutic value as well, and seemed to pave the way to be able to access additional types of therapeutic interventions. And then opportunities for self-actualization came on the horizon in a big way. And uh, that's really been realized through many creative arts and performing arts programs that have been developed by so many organizations that provide services to people with a wide range of disabilities, including physical, developmental, mental, emotional, and psychological, or any combination of all of those. So we really have come a long way in realizing that true accessibility includes the freedom to choose from the full spectrum of life experience. And really, the journey is never-ending. It's a never-ending journey, because as long as there are people to serve, there will be opportunities to enhance the quality of life and to access, to create further access to services and abilities and life experiences for people. That will always be true.
And any organization that serves people with disabilities is always going through those types of growing pains. As their population ages, then the, the needs and the things they need to access change as well. So there's always change going on, even though there's always great strides being made as well. And you know, I, I've walked an incredible journey in my life of serving people with disabilities and helping individuals to access their ability. I've had two careers really through my life. One being working with people with disabilities and the other uh, health and wellness and relaxation techniques and energy-based healing modalities and more spiritual and metaphysical pursuits. So I've had both the careers in tandem and I just thought it'd be, uh, I just wanted to highlight some of the experiences for you um, uh, now as it relates to helping people to accessibility. Actually, I remember my first experience in my neighborhood where I was growing up when I was quite young and accompanying one of my siblings on their paper route and, and meeting a boy in the, in the neighborhood uh, who obviously had a disability. And, and I remember um, feeling a little frightened inside initially, yet somehow I had the sensibility inside myself to realize that I, that I didn't really need to be frightened, that it, it, the, I was frightened only because it was, it was a new experience. And so even as a young child, I, I remember talking to myself about it and reassuring myself that everything was fine and I, I didn't need to be concerned that I could accept this, um, this uh, boy that I saw in the neighborhood. And, and later, um, we had a, um, my family had a cottage when I was an adolescent up in Constance Bay, and there was a family next door that had a, uh, a daughter with a disability and a developmental disability, and I was quite, quite surprised, 40 years later, uh, working at Tamir, to actually um, uh, reunite with this, uh, with this individual that had been um, my neighbor at the cottage all those years earlier. I remember the first time I went into uh, an institution for people with uh, disabilities, the Rita Regional Center in Smith Falls, and I went with a, a friend who had a son that was there, and I would accompany her sometimes. We would go and take him out for lunch, and I was so amazed. Um, she she took me in and kind of left me in in uh, in, in uh, on the ward where her son uh, usually stayed, but he wasn't there at the time, and she went to, to go see where he was. And all the children uh, there, they uh, they just came around and were like swarming around me like uh, like honeybees to a hive. And and I um, I was really struck by that and just noticed the naturalness of that, just the the enjoyment and the innocence of play and. And how easy it was to just um, to just open to the to the children and and you know just start tossing a ball around and and it's these experiences that helped me to realize that I had a natural aptitude to want to share with people with disabilities that it was a natural fit somehow. And in early my early twenties in Vancouver, I uh, started off by volunteering at an afternoon program for uh, children from uh, the school. And 
from there got involved in working with people with disabilities on a regular basis and worked in group homes and sheltered workshops and respite care facilities. And I went and learned sign language because the sheltered workshop I worked at didn't have, there was no staff there that could sign. So off I went and learned sign language, which I'm I'm grateful that I did do, that I can go and sign for Mookie at these special events. And I had a beautiful experience in, in one of the sheltered workshops. After I had learned uh, Reiki and was a Reiki master, I had uh, gained permission from the supervisor to bring a couple of my Reiki colleagues with me to um, share uh, Reiki with the folks in the workshop. And the sheltered workshops, they were doing little tasks, all sitting at big tables, you know, packaging screws or putting things together, things like this. They had contracts with people in the community. So we just went and put our hands on the shoulders of of the folks while they were doing their work. And within not very many minutes, we're quite, quite surprised and pleased to see the differences of what was happening. Because we noticed that as we were standing doing the Reiki for people, that their uh, work performance was increasing. And that's how it was showing up with some of them. And with some of the other individuals, they were uh, able to articulate about the experience of what it was like to have um, people put their hands on them and what that felt like for them. And some of these individuals were were people that normally only repeated speech or just answered questions when they were asked. And here they were accessing their own ability and being able to to articulate this good experience that they were having. And right back then in my 20s, I had this feeling of wanting to bring therapeutic services to people with developmental disabilities and so that they could access those uh, abilities in themselves and have those experiences of relaxation and focus and letting go of stress. And and I did many, many years later have the opportunity to work as a, as a health and wellness practitioner for the Tamir Foundation and run a Snoozland multisensory environment and be involved with doing seated relaxation sessions for the folks at Tamir, and then also developed uh, sing-and-play-along music programs, which was a fantastic way to help folks access their ability and their self-confidence and their joy and their enjoyment of music and their talents as they played on the simple-to-use percussion instruments and, and sang along. And I also developed some specialized movement programs that were based on the skeleton dance from the bone medicine program that I had developed in the early 90s. And this movement program was incredible for the folks. And it worked so well even with people that um, are normally confined to wheelchairs or scooters or people that work uh, walk with uh, assistive aids with walkers or with canes. It was really a, an incredible experience of... And so alivening. And and it was incredible to just watch people come alive in, in front of your very eyes when you're bringing them an opportunity to access, access things inside of themselves. 
I've had a, a lot of experience with people with a variety of types of disabilities from very physical quadriplegics and paraplegics and just physical disabilities without a developmental or mental health component. And for many years, I've provided counseling and case management in the community for an individual with locked-in syndrome as a result of a brainstem injury. And here's a, a just a, a beautiful example of helping someone to accessibility because this person is total care and communicates through a spelling system. And yet through the excellent care from the team, the, the staff that care for her were able to help her to access her abilities through her chosen activities. I know in the earlier years I was filled with good ideas of things that I thought would be good for her to do, and and fortunately I was um, open and uh, allowed allowed this person to teach me that it's not about that, that it's about her having access to the chosen activities that she would find enjoyable. It's natural. I guess we all want to just have great ideas for people in the name of trying to help them out. But if we can slow down and listen to what it is that people are sharing, then we're really able to truly help them to access their own abilities. And and this gal loves languages, and we're able to bring tutors in to help her learn several languages. And she's able to pursue her interests in fashion and recipes and doing art projects and writing letters and composing poetry. It's a really good example of helping someone to access their ability, even though they're in a situation of total care. And then additionally, as my experiences with Tamir, I started working as in the Supported Independent Living Program and then worked as a Judaic Program Supervisor and through that experience, I was able to help Jewish people with disabilities to learn about, practice, and celebrate Jewish life alongside members of the Jewish community and participated in providing access to bar and bat mitzvah programs and a choir, holiday celebrations. And one of my favorite uh, things that that I um, assisted with was a... a a ceremony that's called Hakafot, and it's something that is performed during the holiday Simchas Torah, where members of the community are able to go up to the front in the synagogue and carry the Torah around the synagogue. And Simchas Torah is a celebration of Torah. And I remember the first time that I was able to help the participants from Tamir to do that. It was so moving to see that experience, to access that ability alongside members of the community. It was just wonderful, wonderful. And, you know, that same group, that same group of uh, folks that I started out with at Jameer, we started with the holiday celebrations and the choir and the Barbat Mitzvah programs and helping them with their writing skills and their reading skills and building their confidence as they access their true abilities and help them to let go of the stigma that they had heard them their whole lives about how they, they weren't good enough or they weren't smart enough or they weren't able to do things. And 
And in the beginning, when I was uh, helping them to to learn their studies for their bar bat mitzvah and to write their speeches, they had all those voiceovers in their head getting in the way of them being able to access their ability. And it was so wonderful to be able to bridge the two backgrounds of relaxation techniques, if you like, and health and wellness and the work with people with disabilities and bring opportunities for them to let go of some of those um, uh, negative thoughts and to be more mindful of them and to be able to dialogue back and say, no, I, I can do this, I am able to do this, and to, then to watch them excel. And in later years, that same group uh, went on to perform a full version of the show, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And they did this alongside um, performers from the community. So it was a, a full inclusion uh, program where there were the members of Tamir and members uh, from the community, and they put on this uh, full production of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Just an incredible experience and, and story of people accessing ability, accessing ability. And that's the same group that I spoke about earlier in the show that have mounted their own production of a show called True Colors. And they're beginning to tour with, uh, with the intent of raising awareness, raising awareness about the abilities of people with developmental disabilities and encouraging other people, educating other people and encouraging people to be open to understand that all people have abilities, all people want to contribute, and all people want to have the opportunity to have friendships, to love and be loved, and to share like everyone else in the activities in the community. And you know, if all goes according to to plan, uh, I'll have the opportunity to bring the two organizations I mentioned in the beginning, Tamir and Mookie Bomb, that really were the inspiration for today's show on access ability, to bring them together and have the folks from Tamir do their performance of True Colors at the Mookie Bomb Sensory Conference this fall in Toronto. So that will be really, really a great thing. I tried at one other time to uh, to get the that kind of thing happening, and it was just the timing was off. But we have lots of time this time to to make it actually happen. You know, I I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there are some folks that seem to be the uh, anomalies, right, in life. You know, the well-adjusted, uh, well-balanced individuals that seem to go through life without many of the challenges that people commonly experience, or at least appear to have the ability to ride the waves, you know, to ride the tides of change, and then to come through the high seas, if you like, without capsizing their vessel. So I think I refer to them as anomalies because um, mostly anybody I've met certainly rides the waves of life. And... um, you know, maybe from some of the things that I've shared today uh, in the show, you yourself have been able to identify 
maybe identify what it is that's stopping you from accessing your ability. And I encourage you to look. Look into your life or look into your experience. Look into your, your bucket list. And maybe there's things on that list that that really have to do with not just stuff you'd like to do sometime, but things that are more fundamental to you in terms of really accessing and having the opportunity to develop an ability, to develop an interest, to have access to something. And I encourage you to find the ways and the means to to make those things a, a reality. You know, accessibility is not an issue that's just reserved for people with disabilities. Now, I've helped people with mental disorders and emotional disorders, people with cancer and AIDS, people who are dying, and people who are struggling to live, and folks that are recovering from abuse, and folks recovering from addictions, I've had the opportunity in my career to, to well, actually in my professional life and also in my personal life, to help others come to a place of being able to access their ability in order to thrive, not just to survive, but to really thrive. Because everybody needs to access their own unique abilities and sensibilities and capabilities in order to feel that they really are thriving and coming to be the best version of themselves. So, you know, if you've been able to identify something for yourself from today's show that you'd like to access your ability... And I encourage you to find the ways or find the means or find the support, seek out and find the support that you need in order to be able to access your freedom, to choose, you know, to choose from the full spectrum of life experience and to to take a holistic approach to the expression of your own abilities and your own sense of um, self-actualization. I always love that. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of uh, needs in that top of the pyramid where they, he speaks about self-actualization, self-determination and self-actualization and how important self-advocacy is. And I've certainly learned, learned that through my experiences in caring for people with disabilities is the, the fundamental importance of being able to access and express their abilities, having opportunities for self-advocacy, and really the opportunity to contribute back to society. You know, everybody, I think it's a natural part of humanity to want to serve. And um, people with developmental disabilities and all kinds of disabilities have that same feeling of wanting to serve and to give back and to contribute. And sometimes the best way that they can do that, or the only way that they can do that, is when people are open and willing to welcome them and to include them 
in things that are going on or to be open to their gestures of, uh, of friendliness or contribution. Like they're saying in their own words and in their own clips of, you know, give us a chance. You know, you'll find that we're loyal and that we have love to give and support and that we'll care about you. And I really, I encourage all of us. I encourage everyone. And always encouraging myself as well to really be an ambassador in the world for access ability to help people access the things they need and to access the things they have inside of themselves. You know, just look around you in your daily life because no doubt every day every day there's opportunities where a little bit of encouragement and support can help another person to access their ability. And I assure you that if you open yourself up to this possibility that likely you'll be amazed at all the opportunities that may show up in your life. And it could be a simple thing. It could be a simple thing like just holding a door open or taking a few minutes to listen to a stranger recount an experience as you ride together on the elevator. Or you never know where, you know, making a casual suggestion about a book that you read or a website that you visited, perhaps a product you used, or a health tip that you discovered, or even a volunteer experience that you had that could prove to be the key to access ability for a fellow journeyer. You know, the possibilities are endless. And all individuals are unique. And you think about all of the multifaceted aspects that make up a human being with all our unique abilities and capabilities and sensibilities and sensitivities and our unique ideas and ways of contributing to the world. So I encourage all of us to be more inclusive, whatever that means for you, more inclusive of your abilities and of the people around you. It's been a pleasure for me to speak about this a subject that's near and dear to my own experience. And I hope that in some ways it's opened you to maybe look at things a little differently, whether it's on a personal level, a professional level, or even just who you are out in the world, to be an ambassador for accessibility in the world. That's a great volunteer pursuit that you can do anytime, any place, anywhere, and you don't have to sign up. I am your ever-grateful host, uh, Leah Brenda-Smith, and I thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. And until next time, I encourage you to relax and enjoy life. We hope you've enjoyed our program today and perhaps have found some new techniques that you can apply to your daily life. 
Thank you for tuning in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio. Please join Leah Brenda Smith again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.